Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Welcome, everybody, to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with Camaro Dave and Commander Chris, coming to you from the famous Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, Oregon. Of course, um, tis the barbecue season, so we want to thank uh, the folks over at Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef the way nature intended. Um, so, our good friend, friend of the show, colleague, uh, devil may care, flying fool, whatever you want to call him, Meathead from Amazing Ribs is back for our... <laughs> For our uh, holiday, he's like here. He's here every holiday. You know, he just shows up and and we talk, and then he goes back to Chicago. Or I, I keep hoping for presents. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did send you some painted hills a couple months ago. Yes, you did. That's very good. Very good meat. Yeah. So uh, we were chatting before the show, and um, one of the things that I get asked a lot is about seasonings and there's a good segue into this and we'll talk about that a little later in this segment but there uh you know what is too much what is not enough we talked about it a little bit um the last time you were on the show was about fourth of july or no it was a little later than that but anyway doesn't matter because like i was telling you people will say how come my ribs don't turn out the way yours do and it's like well i've been doing it since you know christ was in kindergarten but besides that um you, with the practice and the experience and stuff, and when you're cooking at times for a couple hundred people, if you're doing a catering gig or whatever, you, you get the seasoning down. You figure it out. But I think that's hard for some people because, you know, they also get bombarded every day, Meathead, on the web, and we get all these subliminal things and some not so subliminal that says doctors say too much salt. Doctors say, you know, you should use more of this or your health is in danger or you know, why your people don't eat your ribs if you're cooking for them. There's all kinds of these messages out there. And I actually think it confuses the hell out of people. I'd like your thoughts. Well, I steer clear of health questions. Um, <laughs> I, 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 um, I mean, I can offer a couple of thoughts, but, you know, you and I are old farts, and we remember when we were told, don't eat butter, eat margarine. And now we're told margarine's dangerous. We should eat butter. Um, we've heard about eggs, you know, they've been good, they're bad, they're good, they're bad, you know, it depends on what day of the week it is. Um, one of the issues there is is that the way they do research on health is really hard to get accurate. It's not like chemistry or physics where you can run an experiment, run a control, and you can get precision data. You can't take a thousand people and tell them, uh, uh, don't eat salt and take another thousand people and tell them eat salt and then see how many die. Uh, you know, <laughs> you just can't control it that way. So I steer clear of it. But the, the general facts are is that our bodies don't manufacture salt. Right. So you have to consume it. All of your fluids are salty, saliva, blood, um, tears, 
uh, semen. It's all it's all it's all salty. Right. So you have to consume salt. You cannot go salt free. Then the question is: is how much is too much? Um, and it's generally felt that restaurants and manufactured foods they add a lot of salt. To, salt is a flavor enhancer. Mm-hmm. It bolsters flavor. It it it, it 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 makes it more intense, richer. So that's a technique they use to make flavors bigger. Um, it's generally believed that if you cook yourself at home, you're going to use less salt than a restaurant will. Um, you don't need a lot to amplify the flavors of meats and vegetables. Um, and when they talk about seasoning, when chefs talk about seasoning, they're typically primarily focusing on salt. Now, most of us, when we refer to seasoning, we're also thinking about pepper and garlic and sugar and all the other stuff. Sure. But, um, uh, and, and that broader definition is probably what we ought to be talking about today, all of those seasonings. But um, salt is pretty important. It, I call it the magic rock. Salt does some things that nothing else does. Um, it, it's just two little atoms, uh, sodium and chloride, NaCl. And, and when they get wet, if you sprinkle it on the surface of a steak, for example, they get wet, and they go deep into the meat. And when they get down in there, they alter the protein somewhat. It's called denaturing. And they change the structure of the protein a little bit so that it can actually hold on to moisture. So it helps meat hold on to moisture. Um, and it also amplifies flavor. So I think that salt is crucial. And you want to put it on as far in advance as you can. Now, it depends on the thickness. Um, it takes time for it to move towards the center. A thin steak, you know, an hour is all it'll take. Sure. A thick steak, two inches ribeye or something, three or four hours. A turkey breast overnight. Um, but it's got to work its way down towards the center. And that makes salt really different than, say, garlic um, or black pepper. Or sugar. Sugar is 23 atoms minimum. Uh, there are different kinds of sugars. Um, you sprinkle uh, sugar on a surface, of, like on a, on a, on a turkey, uh, a, you know, you make a, a, a brine or something. It can't penetrate. The molecules are too large. Salt is the only one that can penetrate deep. And, if, and, and, and you can test this. You can get a turkey breast and throw all the seasonings you want on top of it cook it. And if you take a core sample from down in the center, you will not taste garlic. You will not taste sugar. You will not taste black pepper. It's all on the surface. Right. Right. So when they come up to rubs, which, you know, basically sand salt there, they sit on the surface too. And so the, Uh the next question is, um, when people are just getting started in, in grilling and smoking and barbecuing and, and even general cooking in the kitchen, and they're going to use, like you were saying, salt and basil and rosemary, whatever mm-hmm. they're doing, how much is too much? How much is yeah. enough? And that's, of course, a lot of that goes, I think, to individual tastes and style with your cooking, if you have any style when you cook. I've been told a couple of times that I didn't. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, Oh, you got style. It's just different. It's just different. It's just different. But, you know, the other thing is, is how much is too much? Because uh, like we were talking off the air, you know, you you go to YouTube and you see all the videos of cooking ribs or brisket or whatever. And these guys, a lot of them are 
barbecue competitor guys, they're putting a very pretty thick coat on there and they're patting mm-hmm. it, patting it down like that. And then, but I've had some people say, I watched those videos and that just seems like too much to me. So what's the happy medium for folks? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really tough one. Um, uh, you know, and some of it depends on whether you're buying a commercial rub or you're making your own. Right. Um, now, all commercial rubs, almost all commercial rubs, have salt in them already. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a couple of reasons, because people don't know what I just said about salt. Um, now, on AmazingRibs.com, my website, all of our rub recipes are salt-free. And that's because we want you to apply the salt in advance and then the rest of the stuff you can apply anytime you want. Sure. And because salt penetrates, you apply the salt roughly based on the weight of the food so that it can go deep. For example, a pork shoulder needs more salt than pork ribs, which are thin. Mm-hmm. So the rule of thumb for salt is a half a teaspoon of Morton's kosher salt per pound of meat. Or if you're using table salt, a quarter teaspoon of table salt per pound of meat. That's a good starting number. Um, and you can put that on in advance and let it penetrate. Now, as for the other stuff, which is always just going to sit on the surface, um, you want to coat the surface, but you still want to see the meat through there. And it really depends on the different flavors you're using. Uh, some flavors are very aggressive and very strong, and you don't need much of them. Some flavors are lighter and more delicate. And also, we know that when it comes to herbs and spices, they lose a lot of their intensity with age. So freshly ground spices are going to be stronger than ground black pepper, for example, that's been sitting in your pantry for six months. Mm -hmm. So a general rule of thumb for these um, herbs and spices is enough to coat the surface but still see the meat through there and then you're going to have to experiment you're going to lay it on thick one day and if it's too strong then you're going to back off on the next the next cook and now you'll know your intensive level and it's going to be um, depending on what recipe of rub you use or what commercial brand you use well that makes a lot of sense i know and and this is just me from personal experience, my wife is a, is a type one diabetic and, and she's got a different palate than mm-hmm. somebody that doesn't have a, you know, an affliction like that. And they just do not, maybe not every one of them, but the ones I've been around have a little more sensitive palate. So if I put on a rub on, uh, you know, ribs or uh, a shoulder or something, and it's, a little too much, she'll let me know. And, mm. and, and she, and she doesn't give me a hard time. She just says, wow, this is, this is spicy, for example. Mm-hmm. And then the, if somebody's over and we're having dinner and they'll say, oh no, this is just right. You know, like that. Mm-hmm. And so it kind well, of, kind of varies. With old saying, you know, the old saying is taste is a matter of taste. Right. Um, and it's different for everybody. Um, there's, you know, and that, you know, you mentioned spicy. That's another, uh, most of my spice rub recipes have very little hot stuff in there mm-hmm. because not everybody likes hot stuff. I think it's an essential part of the orchestra of flavors. So we get a little bit in there, but I know I've had people say, I, you know, I love your recipe, but I just have to add more 
Chipotle. Sure. Well, that's fine. Um, you can always add it. You can't take it away. And, you know, kids in particular normally don't like really spicy stuff. So you taste it, and if it tastes mild or bland, then you can amp it up if you know your audience. But if, a grand, if Aunt Gertrude's coming over <laughs> and she doesn't eat hot stuff, or you got a bunch of kids coming over, you want to go easy on that. Yep, absolutely. We're going to take a break here on Barbecue Nation. Meathead and I will be back. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. A little bad company there for you is our bumper music here. We're with Meathead today from AmazingRibs.com. If you want to uh, email us, it's very simple. Just go to BBQNationJT.com. There's an icon there. Push that button. Fill out your email and send it to me, and I will get it. And, of course, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, I think I said this last week, too. We're now on, like, 33 different platforms out there. I, I don't know. A lot of them. Uh, hey, I, I object to your choice of bad company when I'm your guest. <laughs> well, you said that about ABBA, too, until a few, sh- few shows back, until I told you that they had 60 million downloads on their music, this one song, and you went, oh, that's okay. <laughs> so, um, anyway, the name of the song coming in here is uh, Silver, Blue, and Gold, and that kind of talks about our hair. And our attitude anymore. <laughs> you know, I tell people, uh, gray hair is just gray matter that leaked out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, that would make you and me the smartest guys on the planet, buddy. No, the dumbest guys. <laughs> it would all leak out. <laughs> I would all leak out. Well, I try to save it as much as I can, but it, it, it's I'm in a losing battle. Put it that way. Yeah, Put it that too. way. Okay, so we're, we're talking about rubs. And you were talking about, you know, you didn't put salt in this and... And that, you know, what about pairing rubs uh, with meats? Now, you said the new Amazing Ribs rubs, you know, you've got one for, for pork and you've got one for red meat and so on and so forth. But if somebody's at home listening to this, they don't have time to go to the store, but they've got some salt and pepper. They probably got some garlic, maybe some basil, maybe a little chipotle powder or something in their house. How do they say, okay, I'm cooking a... um uh, a pork loin. How do they pair that? I yeah. Mean, is there any rule of thumb for them? There, there may be. Um, by the way, the, the name of the rubs brand is Meatheads. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry. Uh, uh, Meatheads, amazing. It's got my ugly face on the uh, label. Um, and they're, they're, they are available now. You can come to our website. We don't sell them, but we'll link you to a website that does. Cool. Uh, AmazingRibs.com slash flavor. Um, you know, formulating rubs is 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 a fun game, and I don't know that there is a rule. Um, it's kind of like composing a symphony. Um, uh, you know, I, you, you, the, the, the the seasons, the seasonings that we have in our um, poultry rub are are primarily green. They're herbs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, poultry seasoning it, it tends to be. 
um, uh, thyme and rosemary and right. uh, parsley, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. There you go. And uh, and, and and so on. Um, uh, yeah, a little garlic powder. Um, poultry, you don't need a lot of sugar in. Um, uh, in fact, you you don't want much sugar at all. Same thing for, for beef. Beef. Uh, cattle don't need sugar any more than they need wolves. Um, <laughs> you, you, you don't need to put a lot of sweetness on. But pork, pork loves sugar. Pork loves sweetness. Mm-hmm. And, and you just kind of figure this out with experience. Um, I think if you know, you're just fiddling and you want to make your own rubs, go to AmazingRibs.com, look at my recipes, and steal them. Um, and experiment. And then, you know, you look at it and say, well, I don't like rosemary, which is in our, po- in our pork rub, and leave it out if you want, although I think it's really good in there. And it's oh, sure. Hidden. You don't notice it. Um, but you can, you know, you can experiment and add your own um, uh, ingredients as you so desire. Um, our, our beef rub, for example, has some coffee in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have smoked many of the ingredients in both the beef and the pork rub but not in the poultry rub. Um, so, you know, it's hard. To, you know, it's like uh, uh, how do you get uh, Leonard Bernstein to tell you how to make a, uh, you know, a, a, a musical theater? Uh, you just learn from experimenting what flavors work with what. And I don't know that there is a, a, a lot of rules of thumb for that. Yeah. Now, here's a little... Um... A little tip that that I do personally when I'm doing ribs or if I'm doing pork, uh, and sometimes I will do it on tri-tip just for fun, but you, mostly the pork is um, I use some powdered honey. Uh, the cook mm. the cook is two thirds of the way done, and you mm. got you got some juices coming up, and you're developing a nice bark and all that. And I will open up the smoker and s- sprinkle lightly, not mm. not coat it this powdered honey that I have. Um, and I will do that. And then if you do actually use a, a sauce as a base, I'm, I'm, then you, you and I've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum for people, I'm sure. But, you know, I use a sauce more as a base, not as a big slathering it on there. Yes. You know, but you, and you let that, that powdered honey start to break down in the cook. And then when you come in, you know, 20 minutes later or whatever the time frame is, and you put the, the light sauce on there, it, it you know, it kind of holds that powdered honey down that hasn't kind of dissolved and broken down yet. And it's quite good, but it's all kind of done at the very end. Uh, yeah, a lot of people don't know that there is such a thing as powdered honey. Also, powdered maple syrup. Right. You can even get powdered vinegar. Um, uh, they're fun to play with. Um, uh, when I create recipes, I try to stick to pretty standard pantry ingredients. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't have any of those in my recipes typically, but when I'm playing around for myself, yeah, I got some. Uh, and when we're making a commercial product, we often go for that sort of thing. Sure. Um, but uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting concept. Uh, uh, but people have to remember, honey is not just a sweetener. It has a very distinctive flavor. Yes. And it may not work with everything. Right. Um, you, you may not like it on turkey. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, as I mentioned earlier, pork loves sweetness and sugars, uh, particularly brown sugar. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but I don't know that I would use honey on, on a steak. No, um, no, no. So, 
you know, you just got to kind of think that thing through. Yeah. Now the, uh, uh, you know, steak, um, you know, meatloaf, whatever I, I take it, I don't use it, but I do on the, the tri-tips a little bit just because some of the people that I cook for like that little bit of sweetness, but it's very, Mm -hmm. you and I would say, do I, do I sense a hint of sweetness here? But, Mm. but for them, it goes good with the base um, and goes for that. So, but again, that all goes to experimenting at home. We're out of time for this segment, as usual, when Meathead and I get together. But we'll be right back on Barbecue Nation right after this. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Sun Radio Network. We uh, got some new stuff coming up in a couple of weeks I'm going to be telling you about. I'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef just like Grandpa used to make. You can check them out online to see if you can get it anywhere near you in a retail fashion, or they do have a online store. So just go to PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. Also, the folks over at Gunter Wilhelm Knives, unmatched quality. And uh, I love them. I think Meathead still uses them. So I have my day-to-day knives. I love them. Yeah, they're great. So you can go to GunterWilhelmKnives.com. Also, uh, you know, if you want to send us an email, you can find us. Just go to Barbecue Nation BBQ like that. It's not spelled out the long way. Um, NationJT.com and send me a note there. Okay, so we're talking with our good friend Meathead here. And you know, I'll, you said something coming out of the break that caught my ear. Sure. You you said something, Painted Hills, like Grandpa used to make it, and that tripped the switch. Um, they're, they're, you sent me some of their meats. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're grass-fed or grass-finished. That's right. the appropriate term, meaning right. um, most meat is grass-fed. It's just before slaughter, the um, grain-finished are fed uh, uh, corn or flakes of grains sure. um, where grass finished are finished. Their last meals for the last few weeks are, are stay with grass and they have a different flavor. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't know this until a couple of years ago as grass finished foods became more popular. But when I was a boy and I was a boy a long time ago, <laughs> when, when I was a boy, all beef, was grass finished. The idea of finishing beef on corn or grain didn't really come about, I don't know, until the uh, much in, until into the 60s or 70s. Um, and it's become the standard now, and it's a distinctive, distinctly different flavor. And uh, you're right. Um, I'm old enough to be grandpa. The meat that I was raised on, it was grass finished. And that Painted Hills has those same flavors. Uh, it was an interesting trip back memory lane. Yeah, they're grass-fed. Pro- they have both both kinds, but what I sent you was the grass-fed product and mm-hmm. or grass-finished product, of course. But um, yeah, because I can remember even as a kid on the farm, you know, we'd we'd have feeder steers. We had um, mama cows and babies all the time. 
uh, cow calf, what they would call it. But we always had at least one feeder steer around, and it was usually kind of segregated off in its own little pen, its lot. And we would, my dad. This was in the early '60s, um, and the '50s. Uh, you know, he would give it some, you know, some corn and barley and, and alfalfa pellets and stuff like that. Not tons, but he, he just would do that. But we also uh, had my grandpa didn't do it that way. My grandpa just like you were talking about, just grass fed. That was it. Mm-hmm. And so um, they were both delicious. They were just kind of two distinctive flavors. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what, uh, you know, Painted Hills is. Um, you know, that's a fun tasting for your listeners if they can get it. I mean, not everybody around the country can get your Painted Hills, um, but you're up there in Oregon. If you're up near there, I'll bet that would be a fun tasting. Oh, yeah. Is to taste their grass finish strip steak against a uh, a grain finish strip steak right. or ribeye or whatever. Taste them side by side. I bet that would be a lot of fun um, uh, and, and real interesting. And then see what you like better. Are you hungry right now? Is that why you're telling no, me this? No, oh, okay. you're driving me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, you, every time I talk to you, I get hungry. <laughs> and thirsty. I need, we need a, I need a drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for the folks that are new to the show, which we've always got new listeners coming on board, Meathead was the uh, wine critic for a long time for the Post and the Trib, I think. And, That's right. Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, a bunch of other papers, too, picked up my yeah, columns. Yeah. Three years I did that gig. That was a lot of fun. And actually, that was before um, I got deep into uh, barbecue and cooking and became known as a chef. I was uh, uh, a wino. Yeah, and you know the difference between a connoisseur and a wino, don't you? Price? Ten bucks a bottle. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So when you when you were doing that, I get hit with this all the time, and I know you do too now from what we do. But when you were doing the wine thing, would the winery send you a bottle and have you try it? Or did you have oh, to yeah. go to a tasting yeah. somewhere? Well, I, I ran a company called Beverage Testing Institute, and we, we established new procedures that are still being used for reviewing products. Uh, we used panels of seven judges, and we served them numbered glasses and three-digit codes, random order, and so on. And uh, they would send that. We, we, we would get somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 samples a year. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they send four bottles, of which we might use two in our sampling procedures. So the rest got divvied up among our team. But it was, uh, I, never, I never ran out of wine. Yeah, you probably had a pretty happy team, too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we had no trouble hiring. <laughs> Look, we're going to pay you 11 cents an hour, but it's all the wine you can drink. I'm in. I'm in, you know. I'm in. Do that. Do that. Um, I had a nice deep stack of resumes. Yeah, I bet you did all the time. Um, let's get back to, to rubs and, and seasonings. Um one thing I, I, I talked to uh, John Hallner the other day, who on the web is your hot sauce sensei. And um, John's done some in-depth research on peppers and, you know, regular peppers off the vine, the hottest ones, the coldest ones. Uh, you know, they're always trying to get the next hottest one, especially, you know, one better than the Reaper type thing. 
and mm-hmm. which I don't understand myself. I, I that's yeah. not, that's not something I'm into. But when you were no. talking about using peppers, I kind of just use a if I'm going to use peppers and stuff, I'll do like a little chipotle or something. Very easy. Chipotle is my standard fallback. Yeah, I like it because it's it's chipotle is um, jalapeno peppers that have been smoked and in the smoking process dried out, dehydrated. Um, and uh, they, they're either packed in a can with a vinegar and tomato-based sauce, um, uh, and that's called chipotle and adobo, and you'll find it primarily in Mexican stores or in the import department of your grocer. And it's really quite wonderful. And the other form is you can either get the dried peppers whole um, but most more frequently you'll get them ground up. Sure. And I'll tell you that stuff. I use it on everything. I'll sprinkle it on pasta, um, uh, pizzas. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's just got a great flavor and it's not too hot. It's, it's, it's around the same temperature as, um, the, the standard red pepper flakes. Right. Maybe. And, 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 and but it's just got so much more flavor. Well, and it's very easy to put chipotle in the, the, like you were just describing, into a sauce, too, or into a salad dressing, if you want a little something like that. I've done all that kind of stuff, you know, fussing around with it. And it's it's worked out really good. In fact, on TV a few times, I've just taken some, a bit of mayo and sour cream and put some chipotle in it and kind of turns the pink and you've got a dip or a salad dressing, whatever you want. I've done it too. It's really a great technique. Yeah, it, it's, yeah it's use the chipotle and adobo yeah. um, for that, uh, and uh, uh, it, it's great on things like tacos, fish tacos. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but like I said, I'm not into, nor do I ever plan to in my lifetime get into <laughs> messing around with, you know, the reapers or ghosts or anything like that. I. You know, if you want to burn the crap out of your mouth and and walk around like, you know, a a dog. You know, you're going to start a fight, though. Um, Yeah. There are people who um, absolutely adore habaneros and things like that. Sure. And and habaneros are really hot, scotch bonnets. They're really hot. Um, They're at the upper limit of what most people can handle. But they do pack a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, They're too hot for me. Um, at least, you know, minced up, chopped sure. up, mixed in it. But, you know, they, they can be mixed into something like a sour cream or a dip, you know, in a low ratio, and I, I won't mind them. But they have a lot of flavor, and the people who are into the hot peppers, they're into it in a big way, you know? I mean, and, and they really like it, and they can handle it, and they can taste it. It's a, it's a very, you know, taste is a matter of taste. And, and it is a fact, in fact that everybody's taste buds are different and behave differently and respond differently. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, they, uh, uh, what some is too salty for me, maybe just right for you. Sure. Um, we taste a rub and we may say, wow, I can really taste the rosemary. And the next guy says, I don't taste it at all. Right. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's really quite common. Yeah, and as you and, and this isn't this is inclusive of both you and me, but as you get older, your cha- taste buds change. You know, yeah, um, there that's a biological thing, and you're not gonna uh-huh. you're not gonna stop that really. But they do change, and I've noticed even in the last ten years 
that some things that I used to really, really like, eh, not so much anymore. I still will eat it, but, you know, I don't, as far as seasonings and stuff, but I really don't, it's, mm -hmm. it's not kind of my go-to thing anymore. Yeah, well, why? you know, people are often surprised when they hear you say their taste buds change, but when you think about it, your vision changes, your hearing changes, your sense of smell changes, and your sense of taste change. And um, taste and smell are very closely associated. Um, all of your senses change with age. Uh, huh? <laughs> my answer, huh? You know, when you said that, my attention <laughs> span. Yeah, what you, you say? Your attention yeah. span changes. Yeah. That is for damn sure. I hear sure. you yawning in the background. <laughs> now, I busted you on it twice now, and I haven't said anything. So be, be nice. Be nice like that. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and wrap up the show. And don't forget, Meathead will stick around for after hours. You're listening to Barbecue Nation. Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. Um, for those of the stations that carry the second hour, that'll be coming up here, and it's going to be a surprise guest on that. Also, uh, because we've got Meathead on today, but I also tell this in every show I have for the last couple months, the meetup in Memphis is next spring, okay? And you can go to AmazingRibs.com uh, and find out, but they had postponed it till next spring, and, and you know, they... Meathead and his crew had to put up with the COVID thing last year and all oh, that. And, you know, a, kind of a, kind of a, I don't want to say a mess, but it really put a no, kibosh uh, well, on a lot We have of just put so much work into this, you know. There's just no way we're going to make any money on it after all the labor we put into it. But what we're doing is, you know, there's, 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 a, there's a trade show for the barbecue community, but there is no big shindig party festival educational seminar conference for us backyard folks so we're holding the first one in memphis march 18 through 20 and it should be a lot of fun um, we've got some good speakers and some great food and uh some good exhibits and uh you'll find it at amazingribs.com slash memphis there you go and as long as we're promoting and plugging things <laughs> um don't forget there's a book um, named Meathead, The Science of Great Barbecue and Grilling. Right. Uh, you can find it in most bookstores. It's on Amazon. Um, it's one of the best-selling barbecue books ever in history. And um, uh, also, uh, we have a number of small e-books uh, for $3.99 on Amazon. Uh, you can find info about all of these on AmazingRibs.com. Plus, if you buy the rubs, there's a free book attached to the rubs. Yes, that's true. I forgot about that. If you buy the rub, you you can. There's a QR code you can scan, and you can get that three ninety nine book for free. There's three of them right now, and we have another one coming up shortly. So, 
Well, there you go. See, that's all good. That's all good information for people. So something I've never asked you before, I don't think, but what made you, uh, this is kind of a personal question though, Meathead, what made you switch over from the wine world to the barbecue world? And we've only got about three and a half minutes, so we can pick it up more on the, in the after hours too. But what made you choose to do that switch? Nobody has ever asked me that before, and I do a lot of interviews. Um, it's a really interesting question. I had risen just about as high up. I was ranked one of the top ten most influential people in wine, in the world of wine as the wine critic for the Washington Post and Chicago Tribune. I published the magazine, and it just got tiring. I'd been in that business for over 20 years. And yes, they, you know, wine people will object when you accuse them of being snobs, but there is an awful lot of snobbery and there's an awful lot of effeteness around it. And it just, I, I just kind of burned out on it. I wanted to reinvent myself. And uh, starting around the 2000, I sold the business, uh, the Beverage Testing Institute. It's still growing strong. Uh, you can find them at tastings.com. Um, and I, I sold the business and uh, uh, went out to uh, find myself again. And I, I started a website about barbecue, and it took off. And uh, now I'm in the Barbecue Hall of Fame. So I've had two separate careers, two separate lifestyles, both with food and drink, you know. So right. I, uh, I, I've been, you know, intimately involved in things that you consume. So was I for Sen a long time. Sensory. But but sensory yeah smell sensory. taste that's kind of what i'm really into yeah see i made probably a bigger switch than you when i came out of the horse world even though oh. i'd always been involved in media but when i was i stopped competing and then i i was still judging and that made it a little easier for me because i wasn't towing around a bunch of horses but i went back into the media business on that kind of on the side and that mm -hmm. really that really jumped up and um, I'm still doing that today. I don't judge anymore. I finally walked away from that. I have great memories of lots of seeing lots of places around the country and around the world. A lot of nice people. But I'm really glad I made the switch over because this has always been my passion since I was 12, mm -hmm. 12 years old. So, Daddy told me to figure out what you love to do and make your living at it. Yeah. My dad worked for the federal government, hated it, but he did mm -hmm. it. He did it because it kept a roof over our head. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. He kind of said that same thing. Anyway, Meathead is going to stick around for the after hours. So that'll be uh, on your websites, uh, on your platforms and stuff very shortly. That's always fun. That's a nice addition. I wanted, I do want to leave you with my thought of the week. And Meathead, thanks for being on the show. That's not my final thought of the week. But thanks for being on the show as usual. And we will be talking. Always fun talking to you. We'll be talking again very shortly. So uh, my final thought of the week is don't ever ask your wife to why the house hasn't been dusted and cleaned because I did that the other day with my wife and she turned around and she looked at me and she said, you come from dust and you will return to dust. That's why I don't dust because it could be somebody I know. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Stick around for hour two. If you're out there, if not, you only get this one. I invite you to listen to the other stuff online and uh, thanks for listening. Everybody take care. Have a great week.
Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.